Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Danielle Vincent and Felina Grosvenor. Hi, Danny. Hi, Felina. Hi. Welcome to our latest podcast. Before we get underway, I give, as a matter of routine, a trigger warning, because given some of the subjects we talk about, people can be upset by the content, distressed, troubled. So we want to try and avoid that, but it's important that everyone appreciates that what we're talking about can be very difficult. So if you think that you may be upset by what we're going to discuss, now's the time to turn off or go off and make a cup of tea or go and listen to somebody else's podcast. So the three of us thought that since we're very close to the end of the year, we would recap on some of the issues and subjects that we've discussed over the course of the year. And we're going to kick off with podcasts that we did concerning the NSPCC. So over to you, Danny, and remind us what that podcast is all about and bring us up to date. So we discussed concerns specifically in relation to COVID, which is dominated this year, and the impact that that was having in regards to reports of child abuse and the impact and increase that the NSPCC were perhaps seeing when children returned to school and back to seeing other agencies and also concerns during the COVID times where we were all sort of in lockdown that there were going to be a lot of children potentially put in harm's way. And of course it's got a particular resonance as we're making this podcast because everyone who is now aware of the tragic case of the young boy Arthur who was killed by his father and stepmother. And there's going to be a major investigation into how it was that he apparently slipped under the radar and ended up being killed. And of course, that particular case sort of highlights, does it not, that there are vulnerable children um, out there and COVID and the lockdowns have made it all extremely difficult trying to keep track on some of these children. Yeah, this was something that we discussed much earlier in the year. And actually this week there was a report out that said that there was concerns that there could be potentially 100,000 children that would be lost under you know, social services during this period because they aren't being seen by third party agencies and social services. So it will be a concerning thing carrying on, I think, whilst we're still having concerns with COVID. Yes, and I did a podcast earlier in the year with Professor Salter and we discussed research that showed how difficult it was for the police, for example, and to work from home in respect of these sorts of cases. So you've got fact that children are at risk, children perhaps not being in contact with maybe a constant in their lives, such as a teacher, and then you've got the other side of the fact that, you know, you've got police, for example, trying to work on these cases 
uh, being hindered perhaps by the practicalities of having to work from home. So, and I'm sure this is a subject that we are going to have to return to in 2022. And it'll be interesting to see whether government actually appreciates that we've been here many times before. There have been numerous inquiries in the past in respect of child deaths. And cynics can say, you know, we just go around and around the same old issues and nothing really changes. And I have my own personal view on all of this, which is that once a child comes onto social services radar, they stay on social services books until they are able to stand on their own two feet when they're 16, 17, 18 or whatever. Book cannot be closed. That's my own personal view. Anyway, so we're going to discuss next, I think, schools, universities, private schools. Yeah, so this was something that I think Danielle and yourself actually covered initially, specifically the everyone's invited, but it surrounds several issues and and several different podcasts that we did, which was really how you can summarise it is rape culture and how that this impacts children of different ages um, in private schools or public schools and universities. Everyone's Invited specifically is a platform that was launched by a student, an activist in 2020. And the purpose really is to report anonymously, share your stories for survivors. Really, it's for anyone who has experienced rape culture and, you know, from the least serious to the most serious to empower them, really. And also actually record how often this is happening and where this is happening, where in the community this is happening, whether it's a problem that's widespread through many universities and private schools or whether it can be eradicated from where it specifically is, you know, you've got to manage the problem. And one of the best ways of doing that is to initially report on it. And I think what was also identified was this sort of sense of entitlement. And I think we discussed this in a whole series of podcasts because the subject kept on re-emerging in different guises. But there's this sense of entitlement amongst some, bluntly, men, but, but they can do they like. Well, Alan, you and I quite recently did a specific podcast regarding a very serious university gang rape. And that was definitely a factor that the police and the victim felt applied. Young men who had athletic scholarships, unfortunately, have been, we hate to make, you know, stereotypical opinions, but unfortunately, that is what we've seen. In that particular case, I suppose we ought to mention that it was alleged because there wasn't a successful prosecution, although I think some of the individuals involved got disciplined to varying degrees right. by their university. But the case sort of highlighted um, the issues. There were allegations rather than convictions. But there have been other cases where there have been successful prosecutions, where you, know, you had the same issues um, at play. And it sort of feeds into other concerns which we'll come on to which is we're going to talk about later in this podcast deep fakes and using people's images without consent and this just sort of general sense of entitlement but anyway we'll come back to that in a moment because I think what we're going to discuss next is again a subject that was in and out of the news throughout 2021 which was sexual abuse in sport Yep, so we covered this and we have been talking about this quite a lot. 
the big sports that hit the headlines were football, ballet, gymnastics in America, and gymnastics here, wrestling, abuse by coaches and organisations. And it's been something that's been ongoing, as you say, for the last couple of years, Alan, hoping from, again, this year that more awareness has been raised in regards to safeguarding in respect of these individual sports, but sporting as a whole, safeguarding for coaches and liability for organisations is just increased and awareness is, you know, at the forefront. Yeah, and what is interesting is that some get it, others don't. Um, I know we're talking about sport and there has been some quite clear, unequivocal acceptance on the part of some sports organisations that they let the youngsters down and that they um, accept the responsibility for what happened. But then you also see in other contexts, for example, some religious organisations, for example, which are still trying to find new ways, new arguments to avoid liability for the sexual abuse of children and young people in their congregations. And I'm just thinking of particular cases involving the Jehovah Witnesses, for example. You've got a quite a stark contrast there. We're also going to discuss, I think your suggestion, Danny, new legislation. So we won't deal with it too heavily. I'm sure our podcast listeners don't want a heavy discussion on this. But, you know, every year I think it's important for us to discuss changes or trends that we've seen or or anything that is going to perhaps impact future cases or assist future cases. And one of the big cases that, you know, we've talked about a lot as a department is the CNN Paul decision. That mm. perhaps it was disappointing to, to many individuals that have been in the, the care system because effectively it has meant that, that their claims will not succeed. So I'm not sure if, if you've got any comment, Alan, or if we go further into this well, one. Yes, thank you for kicking that ball back into my net, so to speak. It's interesting because the government, you know, in its various pronouncements in the wake of the Arthur case, every stone's going to be, you know, looked under, you know, try and understand why what happened to this young boy happened and so on, whether this actually results in new legislation. Because on the one hand, you can have the finger pointing at social services. But on the other hand, where does the, the buck stop? Because basically with the CNN and Paul case, the buck didn't stop with social services. My view is if social services become involved in a child's life, they're taking on a responsibility. They are doing things in, in respect of that child's welfare. And that is why my own view is, is that if social services become involved with a child, they stay involved with that child until she, he turns 16, 17, 18. You can't have this sort of ducking in and out scenario because these cases demonstrate that when social services pull back, that's when the child is most at risk and when terrible things happen. I think it's fair to say that in a lot of our podcasts, including what you were just discussing, one of the key issues is that chances are missed, whether that's by social services or the police. So that obviously ties to the sport and to the schools. And and the next thing that we wanted to talk about was some of the big, well, famous faces that have been linked to abuse over the last year, in particular R. Kelly, who that's a very sad case, really, where allegations date back to 1994 and chances were absolutely missed for him to be 
charged and convicted sooner mm-hmm. and, and his victims obviously since you know his victims who would not have been victims had these chances not been missed and obviously that was one that we talked about a very big you know success in a way of, of the last few months mm. his guilty verdict I mean the thing with famous faces when they hit the, the media for sexual abuse is that it does raise awareness of how prevalent it is you know in society so the one positive that can come about from it is that if it encourages even one survivor to come forward and report what's happened to them or to seek therapy or assistance from from a charity then there is some small positive from it but as you say R. Kelly was a, a really big one especially in America because it went over you know we're talking nearly 25 years and the, the other one that both Selena and you, Alan, talked about was, it, again, Prince Andrew, you, you know, the royal family to British people, are very, very important to, to generations. And that, that story has just been running and running in the press. And for anyone that, that has been impacted on it, they, they must be finding it really difficult at the moment. Which brings us on to the next subject, which sort of ties in with this idea about legislation, Parliament doing something. And that is the recent news about trying to make deepfakes a crime. This is where images of real people are taken and misused for sexual gratification. And we've spoken about that in a podcast. And we've also spoken about related issues such as sex dolls, where, you know, it is said that the faces of real children are taken and applied somehow, if that's the right word, to sex dolls. So there's some kind of industry out there. There's some kind of demand for this sort of thing, unbelievably, but there is. And as I said, very recently, there's been a call for legislation or a bill that's already before Parliament be amended so that it outlaws deepfakes. We have definitely touched on it in some podcasts, but I think any legal professionals listening will know that technology is quite a big issue. You know, legislation obviously takes up time to go through its process and to actually be made law. There's obviously a long process beforehand, you know, proposals and actually identifying gaps in legislation and technology. Everyone will appreciate how much it's developed, you know, just over the last five, 10 years, it's rocket speed so and those examples that you've mentioned Alan are new and it just shows that unfortunately the law can be slow to really mm-hmm. tackle these really damaging subjects. I mean the technology side of, of what we do is going to evolve you, you know deep fakes perhaps started off quite innocently you know you could remove a cartoon face and put it on your body or whatever and now it's become really deep dark mm-hmm. problem. You know, where people have had their livelihood. This happened to politicians, this happened to all different types of people that could ruin careers, could ruin relationships, family support. So, deep fakes are terrible to the people that they mm. happen to. And the other thing that, that we talked about when we did that podcast was how there's now sort of a dark web of exchanging images as well. So, bundles of images can be sold online without any. What a problem to the individual because it's happening so fast and these websites are being opened so quickly before they can be shut down. But something that we talk about a lot is consent and consent to share images is just not 
being caught under the legislation. I think especially with coronavirus, you know, a lot more people are at home. Yeah. A lot more people are using online sources. You know, maybe there's a mix of depression or, you know, a lot of different things that have actually been a lot more serious over the last, you know, 18 months. That I think that's definitely made an impact on, on what you were just talking about. And even some of the technology that originally came out and, and was said to be dealt with very well, such as Pornhub and OnlyFans, you know, these were sites that were consensual adult sites. We saw Pornhub had a significant number of videos that were removed because there was concerns that they involved children and consent wasn't taken from those involved. We saw concerns in respect of a celebrity her images were put onto only fans without consent so that again is another huge area where technology is just going too quickly that legislation aren't protecting individuals uh, this news report here says that maria miller who's the mp for basingstoke wants the government to ban the making and sharing of image-based sexual abuse under the online safety bill Deep flakes are when ordinary photos of women are taken without their consent and placed onto pornographic images or videos using A1 or software. They can be superimposed onto violent or illegal extreme materials such as rape. She goes on to say that the creation of such images without consent was a highly sexualized act and they were difficult to remove from the internet. Calls for it to be a sex crime. Deep fake and nudification software, she says, are yet more ways women can suffer online sexual abuse. Women in this country have faced a growing problem of image-based sexual abuse over the past decade. The scale of the problem is increasing. The report goes on to say that she points, this is the MP, points to reports of online image-based abuse soaring by 87% in 2020, adding deepfakes and nudified images are another vivid form of violence against women online. Let's be clear, this non-consensual use of technology is almost exclusively used against women. So there we go. That's... I think nearly brings us to the end of our podcast. But I know that you two have been very busy working on the Northern Ireland redress scheme and also the Lambeth redress scheme, where you have successfully obtained compensation under these schemes for survivors of physical and sexual abuse. And it looks as though the numbers are continuing to increase, given the number of inquiries that we get each yeah. week if not daily sometimes yeah it's, it's nice to maybe end on a bit more of a positive mm. you know for the roundup we have been able to help people who we don't always use the term historical abuse cases you know all abuse is important mm. whether it was yesterday or 50 years ago but these do tend to be cases that happened some time ago and a lot of people have given up hope that they would get any compensation or they would be able to um have a bit of pocket money towards therapy, counselling, you know, so it, it is a real yeah. positive that these schemes have been running and that we've been able to utilise them for our clients. And one of the important things from these schemes is with a lot of clients that we see, it's not necessarily about a compensation sum, it's about recognition from these organisations that they were failed as children or young adults and that this scheme recognises that they were failed and that is incredibly important. Yes, it's um, a good point because I resolved one case earlier today where the client simply wanted an apology. He wasn't yeah. interested in compensation. He just wanted an apology. Mm, that's that's more often than people mm. think. Mm, yeah. An apology can go a long, a long way, especially from a professional body. Yeah. 
and compensation for him, he, you know, he's going to give the compensation um, to a charity, apparently, for him that's cathartic. Everyone's different. Everyone has their own way of looking at things, and it's not for anybody else to tell them what's right or what isn't. They work, people work it out for themselves what's what they want, whether it's apology, compensation, or, or both. And that's what we're here for, because that's what we do, to achieve that objective for victims and survivors who come knocking on our door. On that note, thank you, everybody. And thank you to Felina and Danny for their ideas and suggestions for podcasts over the last year, and also to our podcast guests who joined us and who have provided us with a lot of um, information about all sorts of different areas concerning abuse, if I can put it like that. So thank you to them for their suggestions, their contributions, and for taking part. And finally, thank you to our podcast listeners for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.